0: Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer once more. Father, we thank you that you have given us an opportunity to come together as your people to worship you. We commit especially this time to you. Would you speak to us, reveal yourself to us through the preaching of your word. Thank you that your word is living and active. I pray that would you penetrate deep and deep into our hearts with your word and would you change us from the inside out. Help us to stay attentive and I pray that that through this message that that we will be reminded of the victory that we have in Christ and all the reasons uh, that gives us to be able to stand firm in faith as we engage in our day-to-day spiritual battles. So God, we thank you. Once again, we cannot thank you enough for just being who you are, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, I would like for us to think deeply about the topic of spiritual warfare. Now, that means we're going to be uh, thinking a little bit about the devil, uh, the demons, and, and his schemes. You know, in our Western society, we tend to quickly dismiss or even flat out deny any claims regarding Satan and demons. You know, we we don't think that Satan is real, and we have a hard time believing that demons are actually real. But in today's passage, Paul actually challenges us to think otherwise. Did you know that there is a spiritual war going on? And unfortunately, many Christians, especially the ones who are living in Western society, seem to be so oblivious to the fact that there is a spiritual war in progress Satan has been waging this war for centuries, and he's not going to stop anytime soon. And until the second coming of Jesus Christ, we will continue to face spiritual battles. And that means for you and me as Christians, this is something that we shouldn't take lightly. You know, through this sermon, I'll be making three points. Point number one, know your enemy. Point two, how to fight victoriously. And point number three, victory in Christ. Let's delve into the first point together knowing our enemy. In verses 11 and 12, Paul actually spells out and paints a picture of who and what we are actually fighting against. That we are fighting the devil, that we are fighting the, the schemes of the devil. And let me tell you a little bit about our enemy, the devil, because I think it's important for us to know who we are actually fighting. The devil is always on a search-and-destroy mission. The devil is always looking for that perfect opportunity to, to strike you, to attack you. The devil studies your lifestyle and observes your life patterns meticulously. The devil pays attention to every detail about you in order to strategically plan his moves, to hit you when and where it hurts you the most. The devil it knows your weaknesses your functional idols, the things that you turn to, things that your heart gravitates towards to find significance, meaning, a sense of worth um, in, in your life. The devil is actually an expert at twisting and distorting the word of God. According to John 8, 44, the devil is a liar, and he's the father of lies. The devil is a deceiver of the whole world, Revelation twelve nine, And this is the scariest thing. The devil never rests. It's always at work, trying to discourage, to tear down God's people. And this is who we are up against. In verse, in verse 11, I want to draw your attention to, to the word schemes. You know, the actual Greek word is methodia, which means strategies. So another way of looking at the schemes of the devil is the strategies of the devil, And and Paul here reminds us the devil actually has an arsenal at his disposal ready to be used strategically. The devil already has a portfolio of tactics and devices, and he will use them against you strategically. So we need to be mindful of this. And this is why, uh, as Paul will tell us later on, that we must stay alert and awake at all times because Satan will continue to wage war against you. The commentator named K. Osnodgrass, and and concerning the schemes of the devil, and this is what he writes, mention of the schemes of the devil reminds us of the trickery and deception by which evil and temptation present themselves in our lives. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflaged trap. And this is how he operates, and this is how he continues to wage war against us. He is a liar, and he is a slanderer. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but then the actual Greek word for the devil mentioned in verse 11, I'm sure you heard this word being thrown around many, many times, is diabolos. But diabolos in Greek actually means to lie and to slander. So the devil is a liar and a slanderer. And John eight forty four. 44, I mean, he, we are told that he is a liar, right? And he is the father of lies. So if you put all this together, the devil, in a nutshell, is a strategic liar, ready to strike you and ready to destroy you uh, strategically. And he will be ready um, when, when, the, when he counts uh, the most and when, when he can give you that uh, most devastating blow um, for you as a Christian. I think Pastor Tim Keller is really extremely helpful as he, uh, as he comments on the schemes of the devil, the strategies of the devil. He actually uses two categorizes uh, to, to help us better understand um, these strategies that, that the devil will employ to, to tear us down. And number one, those are temptations, but these are also based on lies and also accusations, which are also based on lies. And you hold your thought because we're going to unpack this a little bit more later during the second half of the sermon. In verse 12, the Greek word Paul actually uses to, to wrestle. You know, uh, we, are, we are told that, that we are not only wrestling with um, flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. But the actual word, the Greek word here for wrestle is one that was commonly used for the sport of wrestling in the first century. And here what Paul has in mind is a close-up, hand-to-hand combat. So what is Paul trying to tell us here? As it's is reminding us that, that we, yes, we will wrestle with flesh and blood and we will wrestle with the enemy and his schemes. And what is he trying to tell us here? That the threat is imminent. The devil is actually a lot closer to you than you think, and that we must be ready for this kind of intense, face-to-face, you know, hand-to-hand combat, you know, this kind of warfare. In 1 Peter 5 eight, we are reminded that the devil, your adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And this is who he is, and this is how he operates. The world that we are living in is a deeply broken place because of sin. And the schemes of the devil only makes things worse, wreaking more havoc. And all the brokenness that we see in this world, such as hatred, greed, slavery, systemic injustice, racism, violence, brutality, senseless killings, cruelty, poverty, etc., are the consequences of sin and the visible manifestations of the schemes of the devil. These things are evil coming at you in flesh, in flesh and blood forms. And we must be able to rec- not only recognize them, but also be ready to fight and meant to make a stand. Um, for the sake of God's kingdom and his glory and the gospel. And this is who we are up against, and this is what we are up against. But then the question is this, how do we fight? How do we fight victoriously? In verses 13 and 17, Paul tells us, you know, we must put on the whole armor of God, and this is our spiritual battle gear and this is what we need and in verses 18 to 20 he's going to tell us the importance of prayer in response to this spiritual warfare why because prayer is our spiritual battle cry so we're going to need these two things and let's let's actually delve into them a little bit uh, in more depth so what is our spiritual battle gear as paul reminds us in verses 14 through 17 and he goes into greater detail about what this armor of god actually looks like right the whole armor of god but in it, do you know what the, what the only w- offensive weapon is? In the entire whole armor of God, what is the only offensive weapon that we have that we can actually use to fight the enemy? It's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Just mentioned in verse 17. Now, the questions I have for you, NCF, are, are these. Now, have you been sharpening your sword of the spirit, the word of God? We are, we are at war, right? And Satan will continue to, 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 to wage battles and wage war against you and your soul. And the question is, are you alert? Are you ready to fight? Have you been sharpening your sword of the spirit, the word of God? Another way of looking at that is, you know, how often do you read the word? Is your life fully immersed in the word of God? Is your heart saturated with the gospel truth and promises? It's your life deeply grounded and firmly rooted in the Word of God because without the Word, which is the only offensive weapon we have against the enemy, it's like us showing up to battlefield without any weapon cannot win. So we must take hold of the Word and and read it and reflect on it, meditate on it on a day-to-day basis so that when the enemy comes to attack, that we will be ready to take a stand. And we'll be able to stand firm in faith. I think nowadays, because of, you know, the technological advancements that we have, and especially with smartphones, and I think we could actually utilize them to our advantage and to our benefit. And one of the encouragement that I want to give you... um, regarding this, you know, how to sharpen your sort of the spirit and how to, to read, find time to actually sit down and read and meditate the word of God in, our, in a day-to-day busy schedule, I want to actually uh, encourage you to take advantage of your commute time. As you're commuting to work, and, and I don't know how long your commute is, maybe 30 minutes, hour to hour and a half, but what are you doing in your commute? I know you're tired, but can I encourage you to actually take advantage of that commute? Maybe start reading the Bible uh, on the way to work so that as you step into your office, and for students, as you step into your campus, which is your, actually your battlefield, that you'll be ready to, to make a stand. I've been utilizing um, audio Bible uh, lately so that when I'm driving um, to church or when I'm driving to, to other places, I, just, I, I try to redeem my time and, and try to take advantage of the commutes. Um, so maybe... maybe uh, Start utilizing on your, I don't know audio Bible or maybe start using your phone um, to really uh, start reading the Word. And I'm sure I'm sure if you have a cell phone or a smartphone, you 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 have that Bible app, the U you, the Version Bible app. And many people have been already using it. But in it, actually, there are very um, great resources available at our disposal. There are a lot of bi- Bible reading plans that you can actually choose, and I've used them before, and and it's also very practical in the sense that if you forget to read, it will send you reminders. Hey, you haven't re- read the Bible lately, so come back and read it, and continue the, the, the Bible reading plan. And maybe one of the other ways that you can redeem your commute time and take advantage of it is maybe start listening to sermon podcasts, and that's how you stay alert, and that's how you continue to uh, to 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 equip yourself so that you can be ready to fight when the enemy comes. And let's remember, and let's not forget this, that the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is the only offensive weapon that we have against the enemy, and we should be sharpening it, and we should be holding it, so that when the enemy comes, we're ready to fight. Now, throughout the course of his life and ministry, Jesus showed us how to love, serve, and forgive But in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, Jesus actually teaches us how to fight spiritual battles victoriously. You know, four times we're not going to read the whole passage, but this is a passage where the devil comes to tempt him three times. But how, how does Jesus fight and defeat these three temptations? He uses the word of God. In fact, he quotes Deuteronomy. Three times. First temptation comes. In, in verse 3, he quotes Deuteronomy three. Second temptation comes. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. Third temptation comes, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. With each temptation, Jesus fought, fought them with the sword, the spirit, and the word of God. If Jesus fought and defeated the devil in his temptations with the word of God, I think we also ought to follow Christ's example is because there is no other way. And in this passage, Paul urges us to put on the whole armor of God and be prepared to fight spiritual battles because the only offensive weapon we have against the enemy and his schemes, his strategies, his lies, is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now then, how then do, do we fight victoriously the schemes of the devil. Let's focus, let's focus on that a little bit more, the schemes of the devil, the strategies of the devil. I think Pastor Tim Keller is extremely helpful here as he offers insights, and he um, pretty much um, categorizes these schemes, these strategies of the devil into two, two things, temptations and accusations. But let's, let's not forget that these temptations and accusations that he will throw at us are ultimately based on lies because that's just who he is. Just think about temptations a little bit, which are based on lies. Now, when temptations comes, and this is what the devil is actually doing to you, this is when the devil actually deceives you into having a true high view of yourself so that you go and do things you shouldn't. So you start talking to yourself. It's okay for me to indulge in that, you know, little pleasure, you know, that sin. It's okay. It's not going to hurt. It's just only one time. God will still love me. Sometimes the devil will come at you with temptations like this and, and convincing you and so that you, you get deceived into believing that it is okay. But when temptations come, and when, when devil whispers these sweet lies to you to the point that you, you end up actually believing, then, you know, what is actually wrong with this picture? Devil doesn't tell you the entire truth. He only tells you half-truth. And, and you know what? The devil is actually hiding when he throws these temptations at you, and it's a bait, and you might bite them. It's a, short, it's a, it's a pleasure that's just, you know, fleeting, but he doesn't tell you of the long-term consequences, all the miseries that, that will come with it. But not only, the, the devil actually hides God's holiness from you. How much God hates sin. He'll tell you, it's okay. Indulge. Just just one time, God will still love you. In the enemy, God is the all-loving father, right? It's okay. But when he does that, and as he, you know, throw these temptations at you based on lies, he's actually hiding and, and preventing you from seeing God's holiness, and how much God actually hates sin. Sin is an abomination to his sight. On the flip side, we have accusations. These are also based on lies. The accusations are when the devil deceives you into having a too low view of yourself so that you also go and end up doing things that you shouldn't. The devil will continue to hit you when you are feeling bad about yourself to the point that it it actually ends up becoming, you end up becoming, you know, hating yourself and condemning yourself. And the self-talk, you know, inside your head and heart goes something like this, right? I hate myself. There's no hope for me. You know, why would God love someone like me? There's nothing good in me. God won't love me anymore. But these accusations that, the devil will throw at you, these are also not the complete truth. These are also half-truth because the devil actually hides God's loves from you as he's throwing these accusations at you. And he's a master at doing this. That when, you are, when you are caught in sin and when you are wallowing in your guilt and shame, and the devil will actually do whatever it takes to make sure that you don't take a good look at the cross and your Savior but he will make sure that you are just fixated on your brokenness and the, the mess that you see in your heart and your sins. And the devil won't stop until he sees you at that place, hating and condemning yourself. And this is exactly where the devil wants us to be. Instead of hating sin, you hate yourself. And that's what condemnation is. And as you give into to and start believing these accusations that the devil will throw at you, and as you start believing these condemnations, what you're actually doing is that that you are just looking at your sins rather than looking at your Savior. And then the longer you do this, the more self-hating you become, self-condemning you become because you forget the love of your Savior, and this is how accusations work. Thomas Brooks, he writes, for every one look at your sin, you need to take five looks at your Savior. For every look at your sin, you need to take five looks at your Savior. The devil is going to make sure that this, this doesn't happen. That all you are looking at is yourself. How broken you are. And he will continue to throw accusations at you that God doesn't love you. But that is not true. Now you see how he goes to work with his schemes and strategies with temptations and accusations which are all based on lies because he doesn't tell you, the, show you the entire picture. And we must be careful because the devil knows our weaknesses all too well. And then my question to you is, do you know which particular method, strategy, the devil has been using against you? Do you see yourself giving in or believing these lies, temptations, or do you find yourself giving in to these accusations to the point that you begin hating yourself, doubting the love of your Savior? Which one is it? Which temptations? Which accusations? And you need to, you need to identify them because that's also part of being able to stand firm in faith and fighting these battles and engaging in spiritual warfare. You know, when do you find yourself facing these temptations and accusations? Now, always remember that the devil is playing you, that all he cares about is deceiving you and tearing you down and, and destroying you. Remember that. And this is also the reason why we must stay alert spiritually. Now, how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us that we need to Pray. I mean, the word of God is the only offensive weapon that we have against the enemy, right? So, so if you're not reading the word, you're going to continue to find yourself struggling and falling and falling away and wandering away because you're not be able, you won't be able to withstand on your own these accusations and temptations that the devil will throw at you. But we also have to stay alert because we are at war. We can't take this lightly, right? But how do we stay alert and awake spiritually? Through prayer. You know, prayer is our spiritual battle cry. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And the believers are to pray continually because their struggle with the powers of darkness is never ending. And this is why we must stay alert at all times. We must First Peter five eight, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour and destroy. He's always looking for that perfect opportunity to strike you when it hurts the most, where it hurts you the most. Luke four thirteen. You know, this is the passage where we see the devil tempting Jesus three times unsuccessfully because Jesus is able to, to defeat all these temptations with the word of God, right? But at the end of that passage in verse 13, we are told that when the devil had ended every temptation, he didn't just walk away, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, what does that tell us about how Satan operates, how the, how the devil operates? That he never rests. He's always looking for that opportune time to to attack. And his goal is to destroy God's precious and beloved children. And he takes absolute delight in doing this. Seeing you fall. Seeing you wandering away from your Savior. This is why we have to stay alert. Stay awake at all times spiritually. Praying. And that's how we stay awake. We must pray. We must continue to pray. Now I want to give you two warnings. Hopefully, uh, they will be helpful. Jeremy Walker writes, expect Satan to tempt you most viciously at those moments and periods when you are seeking God most vigorously. Satan hates it when he sees God's people on fire for God, being passionately in love with him walking with him faithfully. So he will do whatever it takes to destroy that dynamic, the intimacy, the personal relationship that we have with our Lord and Savior. And when you are, when God is at work in your life and, and you can see that, and, and, and as you have that you know, intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ going in, that is actually the moment you have to stay even more alert because the devil will come at you to destroy that because he doesn't want to see that. He doesn't want to see God's people on fire for him doing great things for his kingdom. Because when we do the work of God's kingdom, we are waging war against the powers of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and he doesn't want to see that. And all he cares about is this: destroying us, discouraging us, tearing us down. But nothing makes the devil happier than seeing churches filled with stagnant, lukewarm Christians. To which Charles Spurgeon writes, I do not think the devil cares how much churches you build. If you only have lukewarm preachers and people in them, stagnation in the church is the devil's delight. He will make sure that you are not on fire for God. He will keep you from seeing the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He will keep you from going to the Word, delving into the Word, reflecting, meditating, savoring in the gospel truth he's going to make sure that doesn't happen because that brings a threat to his kingdom. So when you're walking faithfully with God and you are plugged in into a community of believers, you know, praise God for that and continue to do that intentionally. But as you do so, be alert because the devil will be right there to distract you, to keep you from continuing to do that. Now, warning number two. I love how Pastor Mark Driscoll um, put put it this way. You know, Satan will hit you when you're hungry, isolated, and tired. Satan will hit you when you're hungry, isolated, and tired. I mean, isn't this so true? This is so true for me at the end of a long day of ministry as I'm, you know, lying down in my living room, as, as Maya's, you know, down, and this is just my free time. And that's when Satan comes, when my guard is down at the end of a long day. And that's when he will come at you with temptations. In a little little bit of, you know, indulging in fun and sin is okay. You earned it. You deserve it. I mean, you had a long day, right? You deserve to have a little fun. And when you're hungry, alone, and, and isolated and tired, you have to be extra cautious and careful because that's also when the devil will come. And this is, this is also the reason why, if you're not plugged into a community of believers, I want to encourage you to, to find that community. And what do I mean is, if you've been just coming out to NCF, and, and, and I understand if you have a busy schedule, but all you are doing is, you know, just coming Sunday and just going in and, and coming, I want actually encourage, encourage you to take a step further and really be part of what God is doing here in, in, in our ministry here at NCF. If you see yourself struggling because you've been doing the Christian life alone, you've been flying solo, I mean, let me tell you, you're not going to make it by yourself. We're called to be part of a community. And if you've been, doing, if you've been just coming out uh, on your own and not being really plugged in and then you also see yourself struggling, you know, with these temptations and accusations, I want to actually encourage you to be more intentional about being part of this community that God has blessed you with. If you're struggling, if you're having a hard time as a Christian, join a, join a small group. And you have have brothers and sisters here who who will be more than willing to keep you accountable. And if that is where you are, I want to encourage you to do that. Find accountability. Find community. Because you won't be able to fight this battle alone. You won't be able to withstand Satan's attacks and onslaughts by yourself. And this is why we have to fight together. We need to stand firm together. We need to pray together. And when we pray, did you know that Satan actually trembles? Let me pray, Satan trembles. And if you're part of a community, I promise you, you'll be able to stand firm. And then the temptations and the accusations that you used to struggle with as you become plugged in and as you sit under the faithful preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the gospel, that you'll be able to not only withstand but fight back. You know, in the movie, The Three Hundred. I'm sure many of you have seen it. You know, we see King Leonidas leading his troops to battle to many, many victories. I mean, they were outmatched most of the time, but they they were victorious. Why? Because they fought together. And I actually want to show you a picture of this uh, uh, formation, this Phalanx military formation that we see in the movie 300. We see them fighting as a tight unit. And that's one of the reasons why they were able to defeat, you know, armies far greater than them and had more resources than them. You know, I sincerely pray and hope that, that we as a community here at NCF, I know that God is at work here, um, that he has been faithful over the years, and he will continue to be faithful. You know, what if we all became, you know, even more intentional about delving into the word of God together as a community, you know, praying together as a community. So that when Satan comes to tempt us, to throw accusations at us, to throw lies at us, that that's what he will see. As he comes to tempt the members of NCF, I pray that that's what he will see, so that he will just walk away. We'll just come back next time. And this is why we need to be alert and awake spiritually at all times. Because Satan is not going to quit. He's not going to stop. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Pray always. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we drop everything and then we can't do anything but pray 24-7? I don't think that's what Paul meant. It's all, it's all about having a, a prayerful posture and an attitude. You know, as I drive to church and as I'm driving... Um, to, to visit family members. And I actually don't mind long commutes because um, at home it's hard for me to find a time of silence and solitude because of Maya. It's just impossible at home. And that's why I don't mind running errands. That's why I don't mind going on for long drives. I don't mind the long commutes because those are the moments that I actually can spend quality time with God. And I've been very intentional about that ever since Maya was born. You now, how do I... Um, yeah, how do I take, set aside time to pray with my wife? But, but how do I, you know, as a child of God, spend more, you know, intimate quality time with God? And then one of the ways that I've been um, using is um, really take advantage of my commute time. To listen to the word of God, listen to podcasts, sermon podcasts, but also um, praying while driving. I mean, not like with my eyes closed. <laughs> but I'm, um, you know, talking to God, going to God in prayer laying uh, the things that, are, that have been weighing in my heart, you know, at His feet. And I think if we can be intentional about uh, how we spend our time on a day-to-day basis, I'm willing to bet that we can really find time to do this, to pray, to read the Word. It's all about intentionally setting aside time on a day-to-day basis to do this. And I think if you have a hard time praying on a regular basis, I also want to encourage you to find accountability, to pray for one another. In college, we used to actually um, call one another and um, pray for one another. I remember in, a, in, a, in one of our smokers, we did that. And I know other people um, they send uh, text messages, but these are just prayers, you know, constantly letting each other know that that, that we're thinking of you know they're thinking of them and praying for them but also keeping them accountable in case you know they're struggling in case the enemy is just at you know at their at just just there you know attacking them with temptations and accusations i think that, i think we can be really cre- we can get creative in w- and as we think about just the ways in which how we can you know just keep each other accountable and also be being intentional about um, being part of this community I pray that that NCF, more than anything, will be known um, by by the devil and the people around us as the people whose lives are grounded in the word of God and the gospel, uh, uh, a, a church that prays. I really pray that will become true for us. In the verses 19 and 20, as we close, as he encourages us to pray because that's how we stay alert spiritually as we engage in spiritual warfare, he actually Um, specifically asks them to pray for him, that he can continue to be a faithful and courageous ambassador of Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel and declaring it boldly. So he, he asks them to intercede on his behalf so that he can continue to be faithful, continue to stand firm in faith. You know, if you're a Christian, that means... You have pledged your spiritual allegiance to Jesus Christ, and that now you have enlisted in God's army. That means that standing firm, going to war, and facing this spiritual battle—these are not options. It's something that we must do as His soldiers. Now, Peter O'Brien, in his in his commentary to the Book of Ephesians, writes. You know, standing firm can also involve carrying the attack into the enemy's territory of plundering Satan's kingdom by announcing the promise of divine rescue to captives in the realm of darkness. I mean, yeah, in this passage, you know, nowhere in this passage does Paul actually command us, go fight and win. He doesn't use that phrase, right? Go fight and win. But what does he say repeatedly? Stand against Withstand, stand firm. Stand, make a stand, keep alert and persevere. The language of winning is not mentioned, not even once. But he says, stand firm. Withstand, keep alert, persevere. Now what does that mean? We're not fighting for victory. And this is very important as you you know go into your day-to-day spiritual battles that That we're not fighting for victory, but we fight from victory. That's the big difference. The gospel reminds us that Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, he already defeated sin, death, the devil, once and for all. It was a decisive victory. The victory hasn't yet been fully realized. That's why we see the effects of sin. And, and the visible manifestations of the schemes of the devil, his strategies all over this broken world, we continue to see that. But the victory was already won for you and me on the cross. And this is why in verse 10, he reminds us to, to be strong in the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we already have victory in Christ. And as you go into these spiritual battles on a day-to-day basis, you're going to find yourselves Losing. You're going to find yourselves giving in. You're going to find yourself being deceived into listening to the devil's accusations and actually indulging in some of the temptations that he will throw at us. That's just who we are by nature. We're sinners by nature. But that doesn't mean that because we will lose these battles here and there, but that doesn't mean that the outcome of the war is going to change outcome of the spiritual war is not contingent upon how well we fight but I mean, don't get me wrong i'm not saying that we, should, we that doesn't mean that we don't need to fight we we need to continue to make a stand but in doing so remain strong in the lord why because we don't fight for victory we fight from victory this is why we need to stay in us remain in the lord and be strong in the lord peter o'brien writes, the fundamental reason for this confidence is that the decisive victory over the powers has already been won by God in Christ. Not only has the authority of the powers been broken, but also their final defeat is imminent. Christ's triumph over the powers has already occurred, so believers no longer live in fear of them, but the fruits of the victory have not yet been fully realized, so Christians must be aware of the conflict and be equipped with divine power to stand against them. It is because God's victory in his son that believers are in the battle at all. We are not urged to win the victory, rather to withstand the schemes of the devil and to stand firm. We're called to stand firm as we resist the schemes of the devil, as we continue to remain in the Lord and be strong in the Lord. You know, wherever God has planted you, whether it be your workplace or your, your campuses, I'm sure you'll be, you'll be able to see pockets of darkness around it. But God has strategically placed you there so that you continue to stand firm and engage in warfare. Holding the word of God, the sword of the spirit, embodying the message of the gospel, being, in you know, the gospel in action that's what he's calling us to do and if he has placed you there i want to encourage you to to stand there as long as you can and we don't need to be afraid of the darkness we don't need to be afraid of the devil you know there are two errors that we need to be careful of. don't overestimate the devil don't give him too much credit and let's not forget he's already been defeated Right? So we don't need to be afraid of him. At the same time, let's not also underestimate him to the point that we just dismiss him completely. We just continue to live our Christian lives comfortably because that's where, where he wants us to be. But we need to continue to remain alert and, and awake spiritually, right? You know, facing devil's schemes, temptations, and accusations that he will throw at us I mean, that's hard enough, but we also need to be mindful of the enemy within, our own sinful hearts. And let me remind you that the devil is actually an expert. He's mastered the art of stirring, you know, and aggravating the darkness within our hearts, our sinful nature. He's very good at doing that. And let's be honest. You know, sometimes don't, don't you just feel so defeated by the sins in your own life? Because you just see yourself giving in to these temptations, listening to all these lies and accusations that the Satan will throw at you, and, and, and you get to the point where you just hate yourself, and you just want to give up. There's no hope. But well, let me encourage you with the gospel truth, that the outcome of this war is not going to change because you lose battles here and there. The victory is already won. And also the gospel utterly destroys and completely disarms the schemes of the devil. So when these schemes, strategies come at you, you need to remind yourself of who you are in Jesus Christ. In the Starfield, a Christian band has a song called Revolution. And in the chorus, it goes something like this, that I am a war already won. And in Romans 7, Paul talks about, in 50, verses 15 through 25, this inner struggle that he has as a Christian. And I'm so thankful that he was very honest. And, and in these verses, he shares pretty much, that the good that I want to do, I cannot do it, and evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing, this is who I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this enemy within our sinful nature. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. If you've been living the Christian life, it's not easy. It's an ongoing battle. There's enemy without, there's enemy within. But if you've been feeling this tension in your heart, if you know exactly what Paul is talking about, the good that I want to do, I cannot do it, and the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. If you are aware of the tension in your heart that there's this tug of war going on, That's a good thing. Because that means that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. If you feel that tension, it means that you're growing in grace and that you're growing up in the gospel. Because if you're dead in your sins and trespasses, you care less. But then the fact that you feel that struggle in your heart, that's a good thing. And you will continue to lose and feel defeated. But that doesn't change anything about the way that God sees you and loves you and we are fully forgiven in Christ, perfectly loved in Christ. And when the enemy comes in those moments of defeat and as he throws his temptations and accusations at you, tell him straight up in his face, I'm a war already won. Christ has already won the victory. And with that in mind, stand firm. Stand firm until the end. Withstand and resist. And if you continue to do that, where God has called you to, and I promise, and I promise that he will continue to use you, you know, mightily to do his work, you are deeply loved and deeply cared for, and that doesn't change. And the God who has already won the victory for us on the cross He's going to be the one who also enables and empowers you to stand firm in faith. Now with that in mind, as we continue to engage in spiritual warfare until the second coming of Jesus Christ, until the day that he comes as heavenward, let's stand firm in him. Be strong in him. Let's pray. Father, we Thank you that that on the cross that you have conquered sin and death and defeated our enemy once and for all. Thank you that we're not fighting for victory but that we're fighting from victory. Father, on our own we are simply outmatched. That the enemy will not stop and he will continue to to come at us with temptations and accusations. And we also have the enemy within our own sinful nature that continues to wage war against you. But thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming us coming to our rescue. And God, wherever that you have placed us, Lord, help us to continue to stand firm in faith as we remain in you. Help us to be strong in you, knowing that you, you have called us to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. But, Father, help us not to be afraid of the darkness that is among us and within us, but with the gospel truth deeply uh, rooted in our hearts, Lord. May we, may we continue to be your living testimonies and living embodiment of the gospel so that we can continue to fight the good fight of faith. To stand firm in faith, Lord. Thank you, Dad, that you are with us and for us and never against us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, let's continue to worship God as we give our tithes and offerings. If you're visiting us today for the first time, please do not feel obligated to give.